Makers and Mystics is a podcast for creative-minded chasers of beauty, wonder, and truth. Each week, I host conversations with various artists, theologians, culture shapers, and leading voices from diverse backgrounds on topics related to the creative process and how our spiritual lives intersect with creativity. If you're new here, thanks for listening in. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us a review on iTunes. At the end of today's program, I'll share a link to download my free ebook, Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. I'm your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 5, Episode 11. Sleeping at Last is the moniker of Chicago based singer songwriter, producer, and composer Ryan O'Neill. Ryan's music has been featured on popular television shows like Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, and The Vampire Diaries, and has appeared in films such as The Fault in Our Stars and The Twilight Saga. Ryan has collaborated with numerous noteworthy songwriters such as Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, John Foreman of Switchfoot, Sarah Brightman, and many others. Recently, Ryan has turned his creative attention to writing songs from the Enneagram, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the Enneagram, but for anyone who is not, the Enneagram is essentially a personality typing system combining spiritual wisdom and modern psychology to describe nine distinct dynamic ways of being in the world. This description of the Enneagram was given to us by today's sponsor, Sarah Douay. I'll be introducing you to more of Sarah's work with the Enneagram later in this episode. When I spoke with Ryan about his music composition, his Enneagram songs, and what motivates his creativity, he had completed eight of the nine songs complementing each Enneagram type. Ryan's ninth and final installment of this collection is due to release on June 9, 2019. I hope you enjoy this conversation with singer-songwriter Ryan O'Neill of Sleeping At Last. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, setting up this conversation. I've been listening to your music for a while, and your Atlas series is one of my favorite albums to listen to when I have a long plane ride. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's one of those records you can play from start to finish, and it feels like it accompanies you on your journey. Oh, that's awesome. I, I always love the idea of the, the music getting to go places that I don't go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's vicariously traveling. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I'm really interested in your creative process in your writing and I know you're a multi-instrumentalist you've done a lot of composition for film and television and so your music carries this cinematic quality to it and uh, why don't we start with just telling us some of your inspiration and what kind of motivates you in the music that you write. Yeah for sure so I've always gravitated towards uh, just really deeply personal music so I I try I think think I've tried for the past uh, since I guess I was 13 or 14 14 years old starting to write songs uh, to make it as like my, my audio journal of sorts. Like I, I, I really do process everything I'm feeling and experiencing through songs. And so, um, and I think that's because of the music that I, I, I grew up listening to. I just always, I always gravitated towards the emotional like ballads 
of every record <laughs> and mm-hmm. even as a kid like uh, the first time i had you know the hair on my arms stand up I, I just i remember thinking like oh my gosh i want to do something that could you know something that's invisible that could move people in that way is just seems so so beautiful and fascinating so uh, I've, I've just been chasing that ever since Mm-hmm. Well, your music has this magical quality to it, and I just get the sense that it invites the listener to regain this childlike perspective, you know, and wow, at least that's that. been true for me. And it's it's allowed me to, to see and to hear beauty in life uh, through that lens of wonder, and I think that's something that you do well in Thank capturing you. that. Thank you so yeah. much for saying that. That's, that's a huge compliment. Honored. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that you've done recently, which I know so many people are talking about, and you've probably saved so many marriages through uh, your Enneagram <laughs> <laughs> songs, you know, I I know my wife, she told me, she's like, when I listened to number seven, it brought her to tears. But I'd love to ask you, tell me some about that series, about yeah. what sparked that journey with, with the Enneagram songs. Yeah, for sure. So I, I first always kind of land up in the, in the, in the weeds here, so you'll excuse me, but the, the Atlas series, it basically tells the story um, throughout the course of, uh, I think it'll be, it'll end up being about 70 or so songs total. Um, wow. And uh, the very, the first chapter of Atlas was Atlas one, and it is all about the origins of all things. So it's about first darkness, the unknown, then it's light, and then it's song based on each of the uh, planets in our solar system and then it gets closer and closer to earth and um, I, I sing or I have songs based on the oceans and uh, and that leads to life and so uh, Atlas 2 is all about involuntary human development which is uh, I, I, I did songs based on the, the senses the the four basic human emotions and that leads us to the Enneagram so I, I, there's two different trains of thought about the Enneagram one is that it, it is more of a you, you become your type as you get older and then the other thought is that it's wired into you and I always personally loved that idea that the, the wiring is already there and you just start becoming yourself as you as you get older so it felt perfect to try to write songs from that perspective in this in this part of Atlas that is about involuntary human development so um, that's kind of that's that's how it fits into my my Atlas series but I, I was introduced to the Enneagram about six or seven years ago um, through my friend Chris Hewerts and uh, who's uh, an Enneagram genius and and has been studying and um, is, a, is an incredible teacher and author. Uh, he wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram since uh, teaching me about the Enneagram um, that's available now. And um, I was hugely skeptical. I don't know uh, what your perspective was on the Enneagram when you first heard about it, <laughs> but I was like, oh, good. Another way for people to feel like they don't have to change and every every bad thing they do is just because of their type or their whatever. Uh, so I was, <laughs> when he was introducing it to us, I was very skeptical, but I, I love him. So I, I, I heard him out and he went through each of the types and we kind of, you know, talked about, I think most people's in, introduction to the Enneagram is like, oh, wow. Okay. I think I know a seven or I think I know somebody that my dad's exactly like this or, and so honestly, from that conversation forward, uh, the Enneagram is kind of like haunted my world. <laughs> like it comes up mm-hmm. in every I see the uh, it's like invisible in every relationship. Uh, it's like this this uh, this through line that just makes so much sense of different you know past relationships and and um, it makes sense of things that went wrong and things that went right and and who I am and why I do what I do and and it's been a huge as you said it's a huge like helpful way of understanding my wife and 
for her as well for understanding me so yeah i kind of fell in love with it and then it fit beautifully into uh into this atlas thing that i'm doing so that was a very long answer <laughs> I that's good and and truthfully yeah i i came into it much the same way yeah. and uh being an enneagram four with a five wing you know <laughs> the um, like, don't put me in a box <laughs> that's exactly right i was like don't call me a four i'm not <laughs> i'm not a number <laughs> exactly you know well that's fascinating i guess the question then is what Enneagram are you yourself? I am a type nine. So I am, uh, I guess that some people call it the peacemaker or the dreamer. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, a. Uh it's funny uh, of all the uh, the you know nine types I've been I've been researching pretty hard to try to write from the perspective of every type and um, I'm currently in the process of, of finishing up writing the type nine song which is uh, the end of the Enneagram songs and of course I have to return to myself <laughs> and try to try to figure myself out and I'm kind of embarrassed at the end of you know two years of pretty hard hard research uh, I know the least about the type nine. Wow. (laughs) Like, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm learning from scratch here. (laughs) Each of the songs, and you kind of hinted at this, but sonically you've really well captured the different temperaments of each Enneagram. And I'm curious to know a little about the process that went into that did you study each enneagram and then uh, conceptually interpret that through sound how did you go about making these yeah, for sure. So I, I knew that I was going to write these Enneagram songs pr- probably three or four years ago. And so since then, I have, um, like, I went to this this kind of interesting retreat um, with a handful of people and uh, to learn about the Enneagram through Father Richard Rohr. Um, and I, I obviously had a, a million conversations with my friend Chris, who introduced me to the Enneagram and have learned uh, most of what I know about the Enneagram through Chris. And uh, so that was the beginning of my research. And I was just kind of keeping notes and um, kind of writing down some just really basic ideas like okay well I, the most obvious you know thing to do musically for the type 8 that's more of the more of the intense and powerful type like would be to do this really powerful and intense song um, and then the more you learn about the type or at least for me the more I learned uh, about like what really motivates the type 8 I, I, I adjusted kind of the, the that original idea like okay no it needs to be more like this because each of these songs need to be stories of redemption they don't need to be definitions of the type people already can they have that already <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that's what i don't like about uh, any personality framework and so it was really important for me to be able to um as i was writing each of the songs to dive in as as deep as i could and and reading everything i could about that particular type but then also also i think um just having lots of conversations with friends that identify as that type and and trying to look for just some commonality between the things i was learning and then um there was a point with each of these nine songs that um i could feel like in the research i could feel like all of a sudden this this deep empathy towards the type like it just kind of clicked um and i felt like that was the moment that i was able to stop the research and and write what i'm what i'm experiencing or thinking mm-hmm. through uh, from that perspective Show me how to lay my soul You know, the Enneagram is 
deeply enmeshed with a spiritual framework. And I know that most of the listeners of this podcast on Makers and Mystics are really interested in the relationship between creativity and spirituality. And so I'm curious how this Atlas journey and your journey through the Enneagram, how has this personally affected your own spiritual journey or your understanding of the origins of the universe that you talked about with some of your other music? Yeah. So one of the things that I've, that feels kind of like church for me in a way is, um, is David Attenborough's uh, different BBC documentaries about nature. And uh, so uh, life in the undergrowth and planet earth and uh, all these different types of documentaries. I, I, I just fell deeply in love with like the beauty and the, the wonder and the, and the complex nature of, of all things. And so for, for writing music that's based on themes and especially these, these really broad themes, like, you know, songs for the planets and things like that. I think it taps me into, I get to spend all of my time exploring, uh, these different parts of uh, the universe. And that, that just feels uh, to me, it just, it, it makes me feel more connected and more, um, just gives me a, a deeper sense of gratitude for, the the insane reality that we are here and get to uh, even have this conversation right now like I, I I feel like it keeps my eyes a little bit more open as I'm as I'm focusing and, and researching and, and trying to write and create based on the the wonder that I'm I'm experiencing mm-hmm. well this is a technical musical question for you but yeah. what what instrument or instruments do you typically gravitate toward first when you're composing. I've, especially the last several years, piano. I, I'm, I'm not I, I'm, like guitar is probably my, my, my main instrument, my first instrument. But I just, I love the piano, and I feel like because I don't really like, I was never, I, I was never taught how to play any of the things that I play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like most of the time I'm just fumbling through <laughs> and, <laughs> and discover things that way. But for the piano, uh, I'm, I, I just find that I'm, uh, even though I might be playing a C chord, I don't look at it that way. It just sounds new if I play it with a, you know, if two fingers are this way. And <laughs> so I just, it's, it, it, I constantly am tricking myself into being like, wow, what's that? Nobody's ever heard this chord in the history of time. <laughs> it's just a G or whatever. Um, but I, yeah, so I, I, I find myself always uh, gravitating towards the piano mm-hmm. these days. We'll return to our conversation right after this brief introduction to today's sponsor. In the episode opening, I read a description of the Enneagram given to us by Sarah Douay. Sarah is an artist, communicator, and Enneagram teacher. She works with groups and individuals to help foster creativity, connection, and community. To learn more about her new workshop, Enneagram Creativity, The Nine Types of Making, visit sarahdouay.com. That's Sarah with an H and D-U-E-T dot com. We'll have a link to Sarah's work in the show notes of this episode and in the sponsor listings on makersandmystics.com. Did you find that certain instruments lent themselves to interpreting some of these concepts? Like when you're composing these different Enneagram songs, did you find that certain instruments and the temperament of the instrument coincided more with a particular Enneagram number? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So for, for example, like my, my type eight song, uh, I knew that the first half needed to be all staccato instruments. I remember the minute was like a switch was flipped. 
So that could be pizzicato strings, it could be um, anything that has an abrupt nature to it. Um, so that was kind of the, uh, basically with all of these songs I write, um, I, I, I write out these, uh, these, almost like this list of rules creatively to just be like, these are, these are different uh, rules that I had to, uh, restrictions that I have to adhere to uh, for writing this song. And it's really, really helpful. So for, I knew that, for example, like the strings always represent the heart in uh, these Enneagram songs specifically. So anytime you hear strings, it's, it's trying to bring in the heart uh, tr triad of the Enneagram into, uh, into the thinking of the story or the song. And then anytime you hear piano, I feel like piano is more of the, um, it's kind of the through line. It's almost like the personality itself. So I guess it's connected to the nine. Um, so I want almost all of these Enneagram songs to kind of have the base of a piano uh, at the beginning. And then uh, rhythm and, and tempo is sort of how I'm processing the body. So this in internal like heartbeat, you know. Um, so I, I have all these different little uh, creative restrictions and uh, rules that I love uh, applying to each of these songs because I think that it just helps so much and being able to explore in a different way because you know the nothing is more scarier than uh, than a blank canvas what you're saying reminds me a few seasons back on the podcast we interviewed a visual artist her name's Linnea Spranzi and uh, Linnea is an incredible visual artist but she talked a lot about the relationship between order and chaos and in her work she always sets out a very strict set of limits and a very strict set of rules that she works in but inside that framework she finds an immense amount of freedom Oh, absolutely. That's exactly how I feel too. That's actually a huge part of why I write music based on a theme. Uh, so when I have, like, for example, for the Atlas stuff, I've I've laid out this this framework and these themes that I'm going to write songs uh, based on, and um, that just just having that piece is so helpful. For example, if I'm writing, you know, songs for the four basic human emotions, if I'm writing the song called Joy, I'm not going to be having like the, the world's saddest piano <laughs> chords, um, and it, it, that that framework has been so helpful um, I, I feel like it, it, it kind of ties into my love of um, film scores and uh, just cinematic music because mm -hmm. obviously film scoring is uh, watching something and trying to create an emotional resonance through music and so I feel like I'm trying to do that a little bit just in my own songwriting for, for these themes I kind of am treating them like uh, they're these invisible film scores mm -hmm. well you, you bring up something that I wanted to ask you about as well and, and that is your relationship to film and your relationship to the visual uh, as it pertains to your composition. Yeah. Because I know you've done a lot for Grey's Anatomy and different film and television spots. When you're writing for something like that, do you write to the visual or do you, uh, like for instance, I interviewed Chad Lawson, who's uh, a piano player and composer. Yeah. And, and Chad was saying, he just asked the director to give him one word and then he, mm, I love that. yeah, and then he takes that one word and he interprets it through his process on the piano. And so I'm curious, what is your relationship to the visual? Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I, I, I've done, I've been able to, I've had the the privilege of working on uh, a bunch of different film and TV things that require different things. Sometimes they're using the the kind of cinematic music I'm already making and other times I will be scoring to picture um, which I've done a bunch and then other times I will be 
writing, you know, with a very, very specific set of guidelines kind of given to me by the, by the director or by the, the show producers or whatever it is. And, um, I love all of it. Like, I feel like, um, I feel like I really, really enjoy the process of like, like what you just said, somebody giving you a word and trying to figure out what that, what that sounds like musically. That's some of the most fun. And I think interesting ways to, to go about making music. I just think that it's, Deeply read. I think it probably actually connects to you know me growing up and just loving movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I get a chance to try to figure out um, if I have some sort of creative jumping off point, like a word or something like that, um, even when I'm not working on film and TV, I get to always kind of be in that framework. <laughs> it's really, mm-hmm. it's really inspiring and really creatively uh, fulfilling to, to to do that. Yeah, uh, it, it, I think with feedback on on you know if you're seeing something visual, uh, knowing like I mean just setting your hands on the, the piano keyboard like you there's an instant feedback of that that works or it doesn't work and i i love that about it it's very clear it's very you know um it's there it's, it's almost like a process of uh you know it doesn't work <laughs> well before you know it works and that's that's always really helpful yeah now have have you always done music or did you pursue other lines of work or other art forms before you got into composition not really yeah so i always i i I fell in love with music when i got my first guitar which was around 13 or 14 years old and then um pretty quickly after that started writing my own stuff and just just was madly in love with the craft of writing songs and i I had some really um amazing support around me like my my mom's a huge supporter of any direction that i would have chosen to to do with my life so early on i wanted to be a disney animator then after that i wanted to be a basketball player and (laughs) so um, but when i found music i i was i was 100 percent certain that this is what i wanted to do and so i've had not only that family support but i i had uh like a a musician in town that i really looked up to take take me under his wing and teach me about the craft of songwriting and like what you know uh, lyric construction and things like that so I, I i feel like i got um a very informal music education that has uh, uh served me um in you know I, I think will serve me until i stop making music in due to death <laughs> <laughs> that's right. that got dark that got dark really quick <laughs> it starts with our eyes well acquainted with the dark The mind was made to illuminate the heart Well, you mentioned your lyrics, and, and uh, just from one writer to the next, I, yeah. I do want to say that your lyrics are some of my favorite. And Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and they really do embody that cinematic, um, uh, you know, they, they, they're very visual, and, and I oh, love... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I feel like that I'm like a visual learner, so I feel like that was like the only way I knew how to write anything was like to talk about analogy mm-hmm. or to talk about visual, yeah. you know, to try to fit images into words. Who would you say are some of your uh, biggest inspirations as far as poets or writers? Hmm, poets or writers. So I... I'm embarrassed to admit that I have only recently started reading poetry. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, like, I love... Uh, is it David White? Mm-hmm. I love David I White. I love David White's work, um, Mary Oliver. Uh, so I'm I'm brand new to being like, wow, you can do some really beautiful things with words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I would say that I'm most I'm, I've been most inspired by either other musicians or uh, movies and TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, for someone that hasn't read poetry for uh, a very long time, your lyrics embody a natural poetry about them that's beautiful. Oh, that's cool. Thank yeah. you so much. When you're writing, do you mainly draw influence from your own personal experience and from reflections on memories, or or what what really draws uh, the most creatively out of you? Yeah, I would say that putting everything through the lens of my own experience has has been a, a helpful thing. I think it's you know it's free therapy, yeah, <laughs> in one way. But it is part of that audio journal that I mentioned, where it's like even when I'm writing based on themes, or even even writing from the perspective of these different, um, you know, the eight other different uh, enneagram perspectives. I, I think what I'm what I'm doing even that process is realizing the the commonality between myself and and other people. Or um, so even when I'm telling a story of somebody else, I'm it's very much of myself is uh, is yeah. ingrained in that. So that might make me just a narcissist. <laughs> now that I say it out loud. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, most of your work is concept writing from the way that I would see it. it you yeah, know, you, for sure. You know, you've, I mean, I remember several years ago, Sufjan Stevens said, I'm going to do a song for every state in the union, you know, and I, I think he made it through three of them, but you've already made it through eight Enneagram. <laughs> That's right. See, That's right. Yeah, you're ahead of the game. But so th- that leads me to the question then, what can we expect for an Atlas 3? Yeah, so Atlas 3 will be voluntary human development. So um, Atlas 2 is involuntary. So uh, Atlas 3 is voluntary. So it's what we do with everything that we're given. So it's what we do with our our senses. It's what we do with all of the things that make us human. And um, so it's it's love, it's dream, it's it's faith, it's every, every aspect of uh, being a human being. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us on Makers and Mystics. Such, such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Ryan O'Neill. Be sure to visit makersandmystics.com for over five seasons of interviews with artists and influencers who will inspire you along your creative journey. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that I would give you a link to download my free ebook, Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. Visit creativitykillers.net or follow the link in the show notes to get your free copy today. If you'd like to support the production of these podcasts, join our creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. This episode was self-produced by me, Stephen Roach, with content curation by Anne-Marie Mueller and music by Sleeping at Last. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next week.